everybody. Welcome to Cinemus, the podcast that normally debates the must-see status of the movies included in the book A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, but not tonight, because tonight is a very special bonus episode in which we are going to do a review of a movie very recently released in theaters. I am very excited to be joined tonight for a discussion of Jordan Peele's Us by Ryan Victory and David Sandu. Hey, guys. hey Hey. How's it going? Good, good. This is this is exciting. This is the first time uh this is the first time that Ryan and I have been uh together on a podcast in a long time. It's true. Um yeah, I'm really feeling the energy there. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's uh it's very late, but I really appreciate both of you guys coming on and um I I we're we're not going to do a lot of the housekeeping that we normally do. We're a very format heavy show, but since this is a bonus episode, doing something we don't normally do. I'm just going to say um, to our to anybody who hasn't listened to the show, we have an episode out right now on both the 1967 and 2016 Disney versions of The Jungle Book. If you have an opinion on those movies, we'd highly encourage you to check it out. Go vote in our poll at cinemus.com to decide if those are must-see movies. And with that, I'm leaving my housekeeping at the door. We are going to dive right into talking about Us, which, uh, David, I think that this whole thing is your brainchild. You just saw it last night, and you have some thoughts? I Well, I mean, who doesn't? Uh, this movie is made like a minefield of what's what the f is going on, and so yeah, I figured you know instead of us just texting about it and gushing, we could just spend an hour on a podcast yelling what the f. I like your moxie. Um, so Dave, David's official approach to critiquing this movie is what the f. Ryan, how about yourself? Uh, I'm just really excited about this movie. I I, I think it's such. A natural progression from where Get Out was a couple of years ago and I think it's really exciting to see just the progression of Get Out to us and then really excitedly moving on into CBS All Access with the Twilight Zone so I'm just I'm just all about Jordan Peele right now and just super stoked for what's going on agreed so you think this is a step up from Get Out oh I don't know if it's a step it's a step up in certain aspects, and we'll kind of get into it when we get into into spoilers and kind of kind of dive deeper into it. But I think Get Out is a little more accessible, and uh, and I love the little more ethereal stuff just because it's more fun to to really break into. I think Get Out has that, but not quite as much as Us does. Fair enough. Well, what do you think, David? It feels weird to compare to Get Out, but with it being just Jordan Peele's second feature, I think it's uh, kind of something we have to address. How's it compared to Get Out for you, David? You know, my biggest fear with somebody like Jordan Peele, who is obviously already one of the most talented filmmakers we have, I think the, the worry that I have is that we're saying stuff like, he's the most talented filmmaker, he's a genius. Because, um, we, we, you know, we did this with Shyamalan, right? And, and, you know, we could say a lot about Shyamalan's career, but at the beginning, he made some damn fine movies, you know? Sure did. And uh, I'm, I'm worried that we're going to paint Jordan Peele into a corner of the horror guy. He's got an H.P. Lovecraft show on HBO coming out. He's got Twilight Zone. He's made two of the best horror movies to come out in a long time. Uh, and uh, I, I think in comparison, you know, I actually think that Get Out may be better in a lot more aspects. I think this one is a little bit more ambitious. But... I mean, I absolutely loved it. Um, I do think that there might be some extra hype because I do feel like a lot of people miss the opportunity to jump on the Get Out bandwagon when it first came out. And uh, so sure. they're, they're taking the opportunity now to say like, no, 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 we really do like Jordan Peele. Um, 
But at the same time, though, like if I were to say that this movie is not as good as Get Out, I mean, it's by a, you know, a rabbit's hair and it's still fantastic. All right. That's really high praise. Yeah, I was uh, I was also a pretty big fan of the movie, not not as much as Get Out, but I actually really sympathize with what you just said, David. I have always regretted that I wasn't there when Get Out took off in theaters. It took me like till it was in DVD to get to it. And um, on our show, it wound up sweeping the the best of that year, I think, uh, on all of our top 10 lists. I think Ryan had it at number five. You, David, had it at number three. It was my number one. And it very handily, when we compiled all the staff's top 10 lists together, it very handily was the top rated movie of the year for us. Um, so, yeah, I, I see that there is a, a big temptation to, to be on the right side of history with this new one now that we know to expect greatness from Jordan Peele. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, it sounds like all three of us are fairly positive on the movie to varying degrees. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we started talking on Mike, David said, uh, it's going to be really hard to talk about this movie without spoilers. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think, uh, we have done ourselves a favor. We're a little late to this bandwagon. The movie's been out for about a week and a half and most podcasts have already dropped like their instant reactions. So we've had some time to mull this over. Well, some of us, David caught it last night, but that's good. It's fresh in your memory. Um, what would you say about it that you could say spoiler free if you wanted to interest anybody who hadn't caught it yet, but you didn't want to ruin it for him? Start with you, Ryan. I would just go into the movie just just looking. I don't know. because I, I, I think there's so much to this movie, you know, for good or for worse. I definitely think there are kind of nitpicks that I that I have with it and things that he did that I'm not super all about but I think just going into the movie looking and trying to to figure out I think this is such a fun puzzle movie um even though we do get kind of some uh it's laid out for us but at, at a certain point but I think it is fun to kind of unravel this movie as a as a journey and I think that's kind of pretty clear from the trailer alone um and I think you'll have the most fun with the movie if you go into it with that mindset Fair enough. How about you, David? If you want a preview of what a modern Twilight Zone episode would be like, it's this movie. This movie is a big-budget Twilight Zone episode that is, that is incredibly fun and thrilling and lots of twists and turns and to go in blind. I think that this is the kind of movie you should go in with maybe seeing one trailer and that's it. Yeah, I'd agree. That's that's kind of a, a critique I would stand by. It does feel a lot like a Twilight Zone episode. And another thing I would really give the movie high praise for um, is how much it really nails atmosphere. I think it's a gorgeously shot horror movie that takes its time in all the right ways. And um, the buildup is actually satisfying, whereas in a lot of other horror movies, that is incredibly boring. And you're just waiting for crap to start going down. I think in us, the kind of slow build in the first half really is really entertaining and I think pays off in a lot of ways, which is not something that I get out of a lot of horror movies. I, I feel like we got to dive into spoilers, but is there anything else either you guys want to say before we do that? If there is something that you do check out before you see the movie, I would say that that would be listening to the soundtrack by Michael Abels. That opening score, that opening song, you don't need to watch the movie to know that you're in for something crazy because that score is awesome. Ryan? 
Uh, no, man. I think I think the spoilers is where this movie lives and where it deserves to be discussed. So I'm ready for it. Let's dive in then. All right. If anybody hasn't seen us, check out now. We highly recommend you go check it out in theaters. Um, but yeah, let's start talking about it. Spoilers. It's about drugs. It's not about drugs. It's a dope song. Don't do drugs. Get in rhythm. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Can't believe how big Dave got. You hear Gabe got a boat? He's kidding, right? He's not kidding. Hey, I think it's vodka clock. Oh, yeah. Where's Jason? Jason? Jason! Where were you? I didn't know if you were lost. Stick with me, and I'll keep you safe. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scared of a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. What are you people? It's us. Where do we start? with us now that we can talk about whatever part of it we want to. I, I, I would be curious just to get um, not, not a tagline, but just kind of your one or two sentences on what this movie is really trying to get at. I know that's such like a, a broad question, but I think it's a good starting point. So just like what do Mike and David, what do you guys think this movie is really about? Or what is Jordan Peele really trying to get across with these characters? Uh, well, to me, um, I, I feel like I'm a little more aligned with you, Ryan. I like the movie, but there's, there's some things about it that bug me. And one of the things that it's kind of weird to say I'm bugged about is that the movie seems to be trying to be about way too many things. Um, it definitely has a ton of ideas on its mind and that's something I admire about it, but something that also makes it or keeps it from being kind of like a masterpiece level movie. Like I feel get out is. Uh, but if I had to pick like my one platform to stand on, I think that he's really going after um, class distinctions here. I think that he's making a lot of commentary about the American lifestyle, um, lower, upper, middle classes, materialism, things like that. I mean, it's it's a broad scope, but uh, just so much of the movie from the the not the neighbors, but the the friends that the family has. This whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses, getting the boats, um, everything just seems to be tapped into you know, that American sensibility of um, having it all and who you have to step on to get there. So that would be probably my one takeaway. I would say that there's two takeaways. I think I would, I think if I were to boil it down to one message, yeah, I think it's the classism. I think the ultimate idea is that uh, America can't succeed unless it's on the bodies of another group. Um, whether that's uh, people of the original souls and not the tethered, or whether that's Native Americans or black slaves or uh, Mexican farm workers, there's bodies need to be, we need to stand on shoulders in order for America to succeed. Or, or it's that, it's that Jordan Peele wanted to flex 
and show off how well he could make a movie look and feel. And I I almost think that the imagery and the um the the beauty of the film was more important to him than the actual message, which sometimes is a really bad thing, but in this case I think he pulls it off really well that I'm okay with it. Uh, kind of what I was getting at with my atmosphere comment and general impressions is there's there's definitely a lot of love in the cinematography here and it definitely is trying to feel like a more visually interesting horror movie than he's done before. Ryan, you posed the question. How about you? What's your big takeaway? I think there's so many things that you can look at. And I think the the thing that stuck out to me most on my first viewing of it was it's really hard to look past the imagery of people in all red across the country in, in this wall, right? And I know we have this hands across America thing, but it's really hard to not see, you know, try to look into a subtext of this wall across America and kind of what that could mean. But I think there's so many more um, tidbits of the movie that really kind of push it towards that classism idea. Um, I think one of the most prominent ones for me that kind of supports that classism idea is the elevator that's going down into like the, the shadow community. Um, I just... I, I love the idea that there's only the escalator down, but there's no way up. I think that is a really kind of masterful analogy talking about classism and how it's really easy to, you know, get into debt or to do whatever to, to move down this uh, either class or, or, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses, but it's so hard to get back up, whether it's because of economic status or race or, you know, whatever it may be. It's so easy to go one way and almost impossible to climb that ladder up. Um, or, you know, or else we'd have a lot more, you know, Kennedy families and all this different stuff, but it's so hard to kind of get to that, that level in America. And, and, and I think there's just so many things that he puts in this movie that really kind of speak to that. Yeah, it's good visual metaphor and also great in-world logic because um, no wonder it took 20 years to get this revolt going. Getting that many people up a downward moving escalator take forever, <laughs> decades easily. <laughs> Do you guys think that the movie also has like some ideas about 80s nostalgia? It's it's not an idea I have fleshed out yet, but we have a lot of these things. We have, you know, the, the Hands Across America thing that Ryan mentioned. We have the Thriller t-shirt being a prominent image. Um, I, I think the whole thing is a dig at like Reaganomics. You got you got everything. I mean, you've got you've got Chud, you've got Lost Boys, you've got Goonies, you've got Nightmare on Elm Street, you've got Michael Jackson, you've got um black flag you've got uh the shining you have all these things um that are built around the 80s and uh some of them really blatant and some of them not uh that you know there's a there's a very distinct reference to lost boys at the beginning of the movie um where they're saying hey they're filming something at the carousel i don't know if you guys remember that part uh they might be looking for extras that's the opening shot that they're filming for Lost Boys. Um, and oh, cool. at the very beginning of the movie, there's a bunch of movies on the side, and you can see that there's The Goonies, and there's also Chud, which is a, an 80s horror sci-fi movie with creatures that come from underneath the sewers and everything uh, to attack. I mean, like this, this movie is 80s nostalgia, but not to an ad nauseum like Stranger Things, which, don't get me wrong, I like Stranger Things, but this one was... An 80s movie without, this was an 80s love story without, like, channeling the 80s 
I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Like, this was an original way of saying I love the 80s without trying to recreate the 80s. So, so that's my question, though, with, with so many references and things built around 80s imagery and ideas. Is it, do you think it's a just paying homage or is it a, a takedown in a way? Because to, to me, it seems like it's trying to make a comment about how cr- off the rails we have gone with 80s nostalgia with things like Stranger Things. But I can't pin down what the movie's trying to say about it. With my viewing of it, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm pretty far removed from from '80s culture, other than kind of the going back to it, just with the lens of Stranger Things and it and and things like that. But uh, I don't know. I I don't think that there's so much of an indictment to it, or really like a, a glorification of it. I think it's just kind of there with you know the movie taking place in in two different kind of sections with the flashback in the present day. I don't, I don't really know that it's really going either, either way. I think most of it goes with the hands across of America, but I don't, I don't know that the thriller shirt or any of those other things really, I don't, I don't, I, I didn't really pick up much that he was commenting so much on the eighties, just kind of including it. But that's something I, because I'm so far removed from it really kind of in my pop culture sphere, I might've just missed it completely. Right. And I mean, I don't know enough about hands across America. What's up, David? I mean, there, there might be a little bit of that, but I, I agree with Ryan. I don't think that, I think it's just an inspiration to create um, just some fun little Easter eggs. I think that that's what is in there more. But then why does the movie close on the shot it does? If that's like your big final statement to make, why is the, you know, the, the final shot of the movie, all these red jumpsuits, Hands across America through the mountains while there's fires burning in the distance. Like, doesn't that seem like it's really trying to make a point? Yeah, but I think that has to do more with the classism than it has to do with the 80s. Okay, Uh, elaborate on that. I mean, I'm not sure how much more I can elaborate on that, but I just, I mean, (laughs) like, I guess, I guess I, it, I mean, I have to, I have to chew on that for a little bit to think about that. And, And maybe the Reaganomics has a lot to do with that. And I'm not entirely sure. But, um, you know, what they, they accomplish, they, they're able to accomplish something that Hands Across America wasn't able to, right? Hands Across America was this feel-good movement, movement of celebrities and uh, middle to upper class people donating a few dollars and some time out of their lives to hold hands and feel like they're making a difference, right? And what Red does is that she takes that message to a very literal sense and accomplishes it. Um, and I, I don't think that's an indictment of the 80s. I think that's an indictment of the shallowness of America and how we feel good about trying to help somebody um, for a few minutes as long as it's convenient and it makes us look good. And what Red does is that she, I mean, for her people, she accomplishes it, right? She She brings them above ground, she liberates them, and she equalizes them across America. Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the issues I have with, with just kind of the end, the, uh, the end image of that is, like, to what effect, really? I mean, I, I think that we get that ending shot, and it's not so much to be kind of like a literal in-world consequence. I don't think that that's kind of the point. But I mean, I can't help it, but to go there, right? So like, so what, what happens? Is, is he commenting at all, like the futility of it? Or is he saying, 
like this needs to happen and and, and this is how we we do it i i don't i don't know kind of his point with it if it's a call to action it's very confusing i agree and i i think that's you kind of just peg something that i would kind of dock against the movie but maybe not is that it does seem a lot interest a lot more interested in lofty ideas and metaphors that all this represents rather than it making sense in world but it's also not incredibly clear like what the big idea is and i know that is a, a, a big draw for a lot of people but that's that's always one that i butt heads a little bit um with people on as we can attest to ryan you and i did the the 2001 a space odyssey show which is a movie people love because they don't understand what it means um i don't know if us is is quite there for me I don't think it's a call to action, though. I mean, I think it's more of a pulling back the curtain with the idea that this is how this is how America works. You know, the line when Red says, "We are Americans." This is just a, a really effed up way to show, like, this is this is what Americans do, and uh, this is how we operate. It's just a morbid way of looking at it. Sure. So that's depressing. <laughs> I mean, it is depressing, but I mean, isn't that what horror movies do is that they highlight the, they highlight the bad aspects of our society. That's what horror movies can do better than any other genre. Maybe sci-fi. Very true. But that's what their job right. is, is to highlight this, this is the true nature of who we are. Right, so so let's take it even full full Twilight Zone. I think one of my favorite episodes of the original series, I can't remember the exact name, but is either like it happened on Mulberry Street or one night on Mulberry Street or oh, whatever yeah, yeah. it is, right? To where we get this entire episode of just how awful these people are and the aliens are like, whoa, 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 these guys suck. <laughs> and they just take off. So kind of, kind of a, a similar thing, if that's what he was kind of getting at. But I mean, so that's definitely, we've seen something like that before. Yeah, well, that's why, that's why this feels like Jordan Peele watched a lot of Twilight Zone episodes and Outer Limits and Tales from the Dark Side and was like, ooh, ooh, I have some ideas here. And so that's where I, that's where I think it can get a little lost. And that's why I think the laser-focused attitude of what was happening in Get Out works better. But uh, at the same time, for a sophomore movie, I mean, this is, this is great. I don't know. There was some, and there was some beautiful imagery in here that I don't think I'll ever forget, which Get Out did not have. Such as? So, I mean, the one glove, right? The, I mean, the costume. The, the entire costume of the red jumpsuit and the one glove. The one glove being a Freddy Krueger, Michael Jackson, and O.J. Simpson homage is, huh. is fantastic, right? Um, it, it's, it looks great. That fight scene between Red and is Adelaide? Is that the mom? Yeah. 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 That fight yeah. scene in downstairs or un- underneath the ground, yeah, was beautiful. The choreography, the lighting, the music—it was just a beautiful scene. That like I don't even know why, but it almost got me emotional. I was just like loving it. That could have gone on for twenty more minutes, and I would have been satisfied. That was just striking visual work. That I think this film flecks the craftsman of Jordan Peele rather than the philosopher interesting take because i would say that sequence probably combines both go on 
Well, because that's an, an elegant thing, right? If you, if you want to show, like, I'm a serious filmmaker, you know, what, what better than to juxtapose this brutal horror final act fight scene with a, a ballet dance? Um, but to me, you know, that, that's drawing this connection that the two have that is something that honestly kind of eludes me. I think one of my most nitpicky gripes with the movie is the, the, the way that this whole experiment works with the tethered, that they're perfectly duplicated bodies but they share the soul the scientists couldn't find a way to duplicate the soul and a, and this idea that the tethereds have to connect with the original person until they don't for no reason and so i don't know what to make of this dance moment because we later learn this is very significant because this is not the real adelaide who's been dancing the whole time adelaide is actually down in the tunnels with the rest of the tethereds, and she is now uh, being controlled by Red up on the surface as she is beginning to find her own identity. I'm I'm very lost in the metaphor here. I think this is where you just have to take, and I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that th- there's there's two types of horror and sci-fi movies. There's the horror movies and sci-fi that operate within a realm of reality and grounded rules. And there's the other ones that just ask you to just say, you know, how did the monster get up on the wing of an airplane? Like, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is where we're at. You're going to have to throw a lot of rules out the window. And I think that increasingly we've had more and more movies that decide to follow rules. When in reality, from the 80s on down, none of those movies really followed any rules. And I think that's where the 80s comes in a little bit with the inspiration for this kind of movie. Because, yeah, if we wanted to nitpick the rules of this universe, it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, how were they able to have those kids if they weren't duplicated? That's just not how birth works, these these tethered souls and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, if we wanted to nitpick how those rules worked, then this entire movie falls apart. And that can be... A really big problem or it could just be one of those things where yeah you know some of the greatest movies that we have is is jaws about a, a killer shark which really in reality that doesn't work all the time a nightmare on elm street like i mean when we go to these rules the goonies like we talk about these movies and they really don't make any sense at all if we want to nitpick the rules of the universe So I very much agree. And a lot of them not explaining the rules in us doesn't bother me. But I think when you're going to ask for a heightened sense of or a heightened sense of what's that called? Suspension of disbelief. It's because you're getting at some kind of idea. So let's take a a horror movie we've covered on the show before Halloween. Michael Myers is presented as the boogeyman. He's evil incarnate. Nothing about mortality makes any sense. He can walk faster than anybody can run. But that works because John Carpenter is using that to make a point about the incomprehensibility of evil that's immersed in this suburban setting. So I I will grant that there's a lot about us I'm willing to accept. It doesn't bother me that the kids are are born exactly the same, even though it doesn't make sense. But with, with this dance sequence, if I'm going to let go of scrutinizing the connection that these the tethereds and the originals share, what's the idea it's getting at? that I that I have to overlook like the small details because that's that's the problem is I'm skipping over scrutinizing small details but I don't know why I'm skipping over it I don't know where I'm trying to arrive at so let me get in here you you you, you talked about Halloween so I'm sure David's horror boner just got 
crazy. So I'm, let me let me get my my thoughts in before he goes off. So so my first thing, my first thing, is that with the whole uh, dance fight sequence, I think it was done a lot. I don't. I think it was done better in Annihilation. Uh, I, I I love that movie. I love that sequence. I think there's better choreography. But anytime you can do a fight dance sequence to '90s hip hop, I'm there for it. So I I did I did love that scene. And it, it's not so much the dancing that really confuses me so much that is as it is um, at other parts of the movie. I'll, I'll use these two examples, right? So we have this this foreshadowing of how the daughter is a runner and she needs to run and she needs to run. So Red six, uh, her daughter on the runner and she runs away and that's kind of it. That's all that really happens. There's no more development or really reason for that. She just runs away. She catches up and that's really the whole sequence in the, to the running foreshadowing. Whereas with Jason, um, they seem more connected and more interrelated to, to the end sequence where Jason backs up and causes his red body double to go into the fire. So I, I, I think it's, it's fine if it's going to be one of the more kind of ethereal horror things versus the more grounded ones. But I think it kind of picks and chooses with different parts of the movie. And I, I, I don't think it ever really fully commits to doing it or not doing it. And we see that with, with just the kids alone. And so I think that's kind of where it makes it more difficult for me to completely buy into the world. Though I, I totally love the movie. I think so many of the horror aspects work so well. But I think not kind of marrying one idea or at least a way to, to deliver the idea, I think really kind of once you step out of the theater, I think it, it kind of pokes holes in the whole thing. Sure. And, and David, I know you got stuff. I just want to bounce in here is that I agree with what Ryan just said, because to me, I think that's such a cool idea. I'm disappointed with the execution, because even that cool scene with um, the boy causing his own double to step back into the fire to his death is like a really cool idea that's a little bit overdone. And Adelaide has this line about they think like us, they are us. And you feel like that's going to go somewhere, that this is going to become a chess game. And, and in some ways it kind of does, but it, it just doesn't feel like it delivers on that premise. But um, anyways, David, how's your horror boner? <laughs> I mean, pretty good. I got to say, you know, it, it really annoys me because um, this, this isn't really about the movie so much, but when people say LeBron James is like the greatest, yeah, <laughs> it's so lazy. It's just such a lazy thought that I mean, at some point you just gotta admit it's not the team's fault. But anyways, I think that like um, the <laughs> I could feel I could feel you, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> um, uh, this is clearly a horror movie, right? And I'm already hearing people say, "No, this is a thriller. It's a sci-fi thriller." What's the difference? What? The, what is the difference? I, this argument I hear all the time. It's not horror. It's a thriller. What's the, the distinction? I, I, think, I think it's just a fundamental un- misunderstanding of what horror movies are. I think people just think that slashers are what horror movies are. Sorry, I derailed you. I'm very sorry. That's, that's just a, a, no, a I mean, line like, I've never been that's able That's all to I see. had. It's just... You've, you and I have had this conversation many times, but it just really bugs me. So for anybody who wants to have that conversation, let's just end that conversation right now. Us and Get Out are horror movies, okay? They're horror movies. Plain and simple. We can go on. Okay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then... That's all I got. I'm done. <laughs> okay. 
so okay, did anybody feel like one of the because I there was a lot of clues to point out that Adelaide was really red the whole time, and um, but I felt like one of the things that did you guys feel like this when Adelaide was weird from the beginning of the movie? I mean, every time we saw Lupita Nyong'o talk, she just seemed off. Did you guys feel like that? Yeah, and I'll, I. You know, maybe I should leave this for Ryan because I think this ties into the point he made about it being a puzzle box. But with with Get Out being such a the just the tightest script, like everything leading up to something that's going to happen in the end, like I was on the lookout with us. So the second uh, when they start talking about like the fluoride, I'm like, well, that has something to do with the tunnels. It's a government conspiracy. So I kept looking for all the clues that are like, how is this going to show up in the last 20 minutes of the movie? And I I. Before I went into the movie, I kind of always thought that like the big twist was going to be like the the real people are actually the doubles and stuff. So it wasn't super surprising, but I do have to admit that I'd kind of forgotten about it because I think Jordan Peele did a very good job of making Adelaide's weirdness of attributing it to this traumatic event she had in her childhood. Um, so I think you're right that the writing was on the wall from the very beginning, but I think he he found a good storytelling method to make it plausible that she still was Adelaide. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, so I, I, I buy I bought pretty hard into the movie, right? So I don't think I really had my suspicions until she killed one of the twins and really kind of gave those guttural, more, you know, tethered shadow-like uh, noises. I think that was kind of the first time I really kind of tilted my head at it. Um, because he does such a good job in the in the first act of the movie, kind of setting up this traumatic experience. She doesn't want to go to the cabin. She doesn't want to go to the beach at all. Or she wants to go to the cabin, but she doesn't want to go to the beach. She wants to leave before dark, right? I think it's a really good job of kind of, um, you know, helping you look the other way and try to negate you finding that twist until at least halfway more towards the last the last third of the movie the last act of the movie i think he did a, a really good job with that um, it wasn't until yeah that first kill that i really kind of caught on which I, I think that this plays into also something you'd mentioned david um this movie really does feel like an early Shyamalan that um it's it's marked by a big twist that you can see coming from pretty far away but that you still completely bought into until the big reveal moment yeah and i i mean so i mean we agree get out was great but the one complaint i think i had and i think other people had mentioned this and i and i worry that it it played into the delivery of this film is that get out was laser focused but it was also spoon-fed right i mean there's it's <sighs> It, it's not the most, it's not, the, it, there's a lot of nuance until the end of the movie, and it's pretty, it's not very nuanced, you know, at the same time. There's, there's a lot of really right. great things there, but at the same time, it's, it, it doesn't, you don't have to sit there and discuss it forever to try to figure out what it's talking about. By the end of the movie, you know what it's talking about. And I think that here he was trying to, okay, I'm going to be more nuanced. I'm not going to spoon feed you. I'm not going to Christopher Nolan this, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to Kubrick this. And David, David, David. We're Americans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that one line really stuck out. And it, I think that was a little cringy right there. It, it did. But at the same time, do we know exactly what that meant? Like, I think we have an idea, but I don't think anybody feels comfortable with exactly what it meant. 
Like, I still feel like I kind of get what's going on, but I still feel like I'm on shaky ground. Like, somebody could easily sway me to another explanation, which I couldn't feel that way with Get Out. Yeah, I'll give you that because we have just spent the last 20 minutes talking about how kind of flummoxed we are by the movie. So it's a fair point. Yeah, and so like, yeah, maybe that line was cringy. Maybe that line was genius. Like, I don't know. It's going to take time to figure that out. But I do think that he was trying to confuse us. And I think he was, instead of giving us a straight message, he's like, all right, I'm going to throw a lot of things into this just so that it's going to take you time to figure it out. I think he wants... I think he wants these kinds of discussions that we're having right now. Which is honestly like why I'm still overall a really big fan of the movie is, um, yeah, it it definitely leads you in a bunch of different directions. I think there's enough strings you can grab at. Um, I I want some of them to be more solid, but I I can't debate the topic. You're right. It is a lot more omnidirectional in its uh, messaging. And I, I and I have other nitpicks about the movie, but I think that that might after this discussion might be the biggest one is because I want. Right, like I love these these lived in worlds that that we can look to and say like, oh, man, I want to know what happens next. I want to see what happens next. And right. So just just the, the overall story of this kind of body double switch uh, and seeing kind of what happens to the family or what kind of happens to the world would be a really interesting story. But because of the, the that omnidirection that you're talking about. And how, right, like, so at the end of the movie, right, like, they're all holding hands. Like, what happens next? They break holding hands, and then they, like, take over the world. Like, I don't, I don't really know what happens next, and I think that kind of lets me down because I really would like to – I don't need, like, a sequel or continuation, but I leave, would at least like to imagine what that would be. And I think the way it's delivered, it's kind of so difficult to kind of imagine that or really piece together what that would look like. So I'm curious, what are your guys' reactions to um – the, the big reveal that Adelaide is the original Red, who she is the tethered who has gone on to have a regular life, and this exchange she has with her son and the kind of sly, evil smile. What are you guys' reaction to that scene? It's going to make family reunions, like, really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you remember, you remember that cataclysmic event that killed most of the population in the world? Yeah, that was my mom's fault. Right, so that scene frustrates me. So, so kind of continuing what I was just saying is that, so like what really happens? Because, so they switch. The tethered is now Adelaide. She has this family. She's, you know, she's dancing. She's a mother. She loves her children. She's obviously protecting them throughout the entire film. So like what's the consequences of maybe the son knowing that, that his mom is the tethered. Is she now going to kill the family? Is she now going to destroy the world? It, it seems like she was trying to prevent the uprising and what didn't want them to come. So like, I don't really. Right. Am, does too, that too make sense? Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's one of the things I like about it is um, at first I kind of wrote it off as kind of stupid because it's played as like that evil. She has that look. That's just like, it was me the whole time. But as I was walking out of the theater, I was like, that's stupid. He's like her actual biological mother. This is her life. This is the guy she fell in love with. It's not like she switcherooed with Adelaide this morning. But the more I think about it, the more I do like it as a commentary on um, the class distinctions and who we have to step on to get, uh, you know, up, up a class. Um that you know, we're only really hurting ourselves when we do this. I like that it's a little complicated that way, but at the same time, yeah, it's, it's executed really weirdly to me. I mean, let me ask this question. 
I don't know, maybe this is going to do, sorry, this is probably derailing what we were just talking about, but is Red a bad guy? Is she a villain? And, and I think that's one of the really good questions about the movie, because, right, so we have this switch. So, so who do we, you know, who are we supposed to hate? Are we supposed to hate our Adelaide, who switched a long time ago and has been trying to, you know, come up this economic social class ladder? or are we sympathizing with the one who switched a long time ago and is trying to do the same thing? So I, I, I don't really know if there's a clear-cut villain other than, you know, the Americans, right? I think, like, that's kind of... I think the, the sub, uh, subconscious or the, the message of the movie, I think, is really the main thrust, the main villain of the film. I don't... I, don't, I think as far as our leads, or the Red and the, and the family, I think it's pretty amorphous. I think, I don't think that either one is super in the wrong or through the super villain. Right. Because either, either way, a little girl was trapped downstairs and forced to, you know, mimic whatever the, the one upstairs was doing. And at first, yeah, you feel like how could red do that and take, you know, supplant her originals place on the surface. But you know, red was also a, a little girl who knew nothing else and wanted to get out. So yeah, it does blur that line. Hold on. Okay, so when you're saying that Adelaide, the real Adelaide, went to the bottom, she was then controlled by the tethered Adelaide on top? How else am I supposed to... This is going back to, like, my problems with, like, the logic of... And, and this is really the only, like, logic thing that bothers me. Everything else about the tunnels and the experiment, like, I write off, I don't care about the details, but this idea of, like, one of them controls the other until they don't, and then the the red jumpsuits can just murder everybody. Like it, it, there is no, there are no clear rules. But doesn't it seem, in that moment of the fight and the dancing, that whoever's up top gets control of the soul or whatever, and the one below has to do whatever the one up top is doing? Because that's what Red says when she gives the big expository fairy tale about. I don't like this Abraham guy, but it doesn't matter because you fell in love with his original guy. So we had to get married and we had to have these kids because that's what you did. I don't know. So there's there's one thing that leads me to believe that it might be a little more complicated. So please share when red. So so both Adelaide and red learn how to dance. Right. And I know that red says at one point, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have learned how to dance. but. In rethinking about the movie, and I could just be making this up in my head, and this is just a fan theory, but there was something that Adelaide said at the beginning of the movie when when, um, Elizabeth Moss' character asked her, hey, do you still want to dance? Like, would you ever want to do this? She goes, oh, no, I peaked when I was 14. And looking at the ages of when they got older, I was thinking that what happened was that down there, Red learned how to dance. And when she became the savior of everybody and, and the other tethered recognized that there was some independence that they could possibly have. That's when she stopped dancing and that's when that's when surface dweller Adelaide stopped dancing because Red stopped dancing and she was able to break free in a way. And that's where that's where the the tethered were able to loosen some of the grasp of the surface dwellers. And that, that, right. So I, I feel like, I think that Red was more in control than we think. And, and I think the distance 
is why Adelaide didn't want to really go back to Santa Cruz right there because she could feel that that pull and that control. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I was going to go to is when Adelaide is telling her husband about this childhood experience and how she's like, I just went into this fun house and I didn't really have control. Like there, there does seem to, to be like some, some give and take on like who controls the link. But again, doesn't that just feel like a wasted mechanic that when shit hits the fan and all of a sudden, like these people are out to kill us, that this is something that we could use a lot more than just the one scene where the kid walks backwards into fire. Yes. So, so one thing that we haven't mentioned kind of with this whole tethering thing is that red, talks a lot about um i think no both red and adelaide no no mostly just red red talks about how god is the one who um like allowed this tether to to come up and to to do all this so and and i think that was a really interesting thing because i didn't really kind of understand where that was coming to play in in the overall kind of story aspect whether she was just saying it was a divine act that was that was uh, helping her untether and, and create this uprising or, or I think that was one thing that I really didn't quite understand and grasp how that kind of fit into the overall machine. Mm-hmm. So, so question for you guys, have either of you gone back to see the movie a second time? That would have been very difficult for me since I saw it last night. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, did you? I have not, but uh, in order for my wife to watch a scary movie, I have to explain the entire thing to her. So I did that, and I think she wants to go see it. So I, I would definitely go get a second viewing and probably in the next week or two. Nice. D- I, I also haven't gotten back to it yet, but doesn't, does it feel to you like a movie that um, some of this stuff is going to make a lot more sense the second time you watch it, knowing where it's headed? Oh, yeah. I think so. Kind of, kind of more like a, a sixth sense towards a completely different movie the second time around. I, I, I think mm. so, for sure. How about so how about we move over performances really quickly because it sounds like we have an MVP here between the three of us Miss Lupita Nyong'o uh, would I be wrong in making that assumption No no I I I think I think the her performance is so stand out but I think the thing that stands out the most with her performance is Red's voice I think that is such a good creepy horror movie villain voice uh and the, the intonations and when she would she would choke and have to like re-say words over again. I think it was so chilling. Such a so good. So good. Yeah, I, I'm down with that. David, is Lupita the MVP for you? I think she is. And I mean, it's very clear that it's very clear that nobody should leave Wakanda and be an appeal movie because you're gonna get effed over. <laughs> um <laughs> you Oh man, I, so Lupita to me is also it's the best performance in the movie. But man, Winston Duke is such a good dad in this movie. He steals the show, I think, in every scene he's in. I love that part where I love a lot of things that he does, but my favorite part is when he goes, "Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure I could kick your ass, and if she's anything like you, we I could take her." <laughs> <laughs> and even before that, like when his son's just running through the hall and he's like chucking a pillow at him, it's just so good. I think I think he also has the best kill in the movie with um killing his double on the boat. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's a good good little explosion of gore like that. <laughs> I think what's cool is that and I know that he's gotten some flack for this and I don't want to get in a long discussion about race on this one, but I mean it is neat that Jordan Peele and other actor other directors are doing this now, but Jordan Peele is, you know, making a mission to 
to give us more black actors that we can we can know and we can say like, hey, tonight, you know, when we're on our way to go see us, we're like, hey, we're seeing, you know, a Lupita Nyong'o film. It's like we know that name now, you know, it's not just Denzel and Halle Berry, you know, like there's there's so much more. And I and I I, I think it's I think it's great. I mean, I know he got flack for saying when he says, I don't want I don't see myself casting uh, white dudes as my lead in my movies. Not that I don't really like white dudes. I've just seen that movie. It is fun to see these kinds of films with different people. And this is, I mean, with Get Out, you have to have race as the center of it. But with this movie, it really could have been any family. It could have been a white family or a Hispanic family or an yeah. Asian family. It really didn't matter what the race was. And that's actually something I really appreciated about it because when the trailer came out and you saw it was a, a black family, like from the director of Get Out, that's what I was clued into. Like Jordan Peele is going to paint himself into the corner. He's going to be the guy that's tackling race through horror. And, and that's something I really enjoyed about us. Exactly what you just said, that it's not really a movie that's too much about race. It's a lot more about class, which certainly incorporates a lot of complicated elements about racism. Um, but but it isn't as you say like so laser focused on it that it could have been really any family. Yeah, there's there's a couple things with race in there that definitely play into it, and I think make the argument or the conversation more interesting. But yeah, it could have been anybody, which I think is great. You know, I think it's it, it's diversifying an entire genre that has not had diversity before. So here's a question: Do you see which one do you see first? an Emmy nomination for Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone or an Oscar nomination for either a directorial writing category or Lupita Nyong'o? I don't think this movie's going to get a lot of awards recognition. And I would agree. I, I, I would see an Emmy nomination for, for, uh, for the Twilight Zone before I'd see anything for this. Yeah. What do you think, David? <sighs> it's hard to say. It's because it's released so early, right? And, I mean, generally, you're not going to have movies that get nominated for anything unless they're, what, August on up? But, but, but Get but Out get got out was nominated what, a Feb- for a February so release? Yeah. When it was a February, February release. And I remember conversations that we had about this movie. And I remember thinking to myself, and I had said, I mean, Ryan, you and I saw this, and I said, this movie could get nominated for Best Screenplay. I don't know about anything else. And I was right and wrong in that. And I don't know that, you know, like, we just don't know. That movie ended up getting a whole bunch of nominations. So, I mean, I really don't know. And with the Oscars, the way that they're going now with Green Book winning and stuff, and, like, the, the like, lazy identity politics that they're trying to do, who knows? This movie could sweep. Like, at this point, I don't know what the hell's going on with the Oscars. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just think of it like, like, if Tony Collette can deliver what she delivered in Hereditary as a more of a summer release, um, and I, I and then I don't see Lupita Nyong'o getting anything for a, a March release. I think she stands the best chance I, out of anybody. I could see her getting an acting nomination. I don't see writing, directing, picture. And yeah. you just tapped into it. I think Get Out is such a cultural touchstone, and it also like was a huge surprise because the trailer for it just looked like your standard like dumped in february horror release it didn't look like anything special and then when it was really good word of mouth went around fast and i think that as we've been talking the last half half hour you know i don't think that something like the concept of tethering 
is going to have as much of an impact on culture as something like the sunken place. Like it, it just doesn't have a big enough impact to last from now to next February. Maybe, maybe, but I mean, like, uh, you know, the New York just the New Yorker just wrote an article and they said that Jordan Peele's Us is a colossal cinematic achievement. I mean, every critic out there is lauding this as already the best movie of the year. I'm not saying that. What's its competition? Well, I, <laughs> I know, agree. I know, but like, this is absolutely that, my favorite movie of the year. But like, I think that there's. My my worry is that there's going to be an overcorrection, and I would not be surprised to see this movie get nominations that it may ne- may not necessarily deserve. I would be okay with them, but may not necessarily deserve just because, you know, I think that I think that Peel is becoming a darling, and I I think he might be burning too bright right now, and it might get him some things that you know like. Next year, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years. But I would not be surprised by the way that the awards seasons are going now if he does get some awards. So a question for you two guys. Um, I know it's, it's entirely too early to tell. Um, but based on what else you're anticipating this year, uh, how do you think this movie's chances are for making your top 10 lists in January? <sighs> Great question. I'm actually I'm looking at the releases for the year right now. Um, oh, I think just looking at horror alone, uh, I know <laughs> a Child's Play is coming out, so I'm sure David's gonna love that. But but hey, you I know think what? They just announced it, that Mark Hamill is doing the voice for that, so I'm pretty excited. Actually, that's pretty dang cool. That's yeah, that's gonna be awesome. Uh, but I think it chapter two has a really good shot of being my favorite being my favorite horror movie of the year cuz I really liked the 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 last installment. Um either that or depending on how Todd Phillips takes it, I think that the Joker could be a really good one as well. Walking Phoenix, I think that little teaser they released a couple months ago was just phenomenal and he looks so good and so unsettling. Um I, I think I think us might take it, but I think it chapter two has the best the best chance at, at, at unseating it. Okay. Uh, so this could either be a great year for horror movies or a bad year for horror movies. Because there are some horror movies that I'm pretty excited about. I'm excited about scary stories you tell in the dark. Um Oh, I I think that's gonna be so bad. I, I mean I really want it to be good. It chapter two I think is gonna be great. I'm really excited for Godzilla King of the Monsters. I, I actually am excited about Ma. That movie looks like it could go either way, but Octavia Spencer oh, looks... Yes. I, don't know, I don't know about Octavia that one. Octavia Spencer. That, oh, really? I think it looks good. I mean, I think, I think it could go either way, but I don't know. She's pretty great. Other two movies, I mean, you already mentioned it. We already mentioned it, but uh, don't forget about Pet Cemetery comes out next month. And I'm True. really excited for Brightburn. And Child's Play. Child's Play looks pretty great. <laughs> I mean, I hope, I hope it's good. So I don't know. This year could be pretty good. I could see these movies upsetting us for me. Um, possibly. So These I don't are just know. horror movies you guys are talking about. You haven't even talked about like a lot of the other summer blockbusters. I- I'm so. not even going to try to get into those. Like, Because <laughs> there's a lot of horror movies coming out. And uh, I think we can appreciate... Oh, ones that we haven't even talked about. Doctor Sleep is coming out. The sequel. The long, long-awaited sequel... So the Shining is coming out this year. Okay. That th- we, no, I'm not gonna get into that. 
<laughs> the long requested sequel to The Shining. I mean, the book did really well. And so and and right now, Stephen King movies are doing pretty well. Yeah. So his, his stuff's on a roll. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it, there's there's a lot out there. So I, I don't even know. Okay. So we're guys are iffy on if it's going to make your top 10s. I think us stands a pretty decent shot of making my top 10 list at the end of the year, but uh I would be a little nervous that it's a, a low tier and might get bumped out. Ooh. Yeah, I'd agree. I'm right there with you. Yeah. We'll see. I, 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 there's a part of me, actually, like, I really want to keep it on. N- notoriously, when we do those lists, the 10 spot is kind of like our, our middle finger slot to be like, I know there's movies better than this, but screw you. I want to champion this one. I, I think us could yeah. do that for me. Uh, but I mean, you know what? There's a lot of good movies coming out this year. So, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot I'm of very movies excited. I'm pretty excited about. John, yeah, I'm I'm incredibly excited. I mean, just to I I don't know. I'm just gonna geek out for a second here. But I mean, upcoming that we haven't seen yet. I'm super excited about Avengers. Um, I actually am strangely excited about Pikachu, Detective Pikachu. <laughs> um, you got John Wick, John Wick Chapter Three. Oh gosh! Oh, the new Shaft movie looks pretty good. Toy Story Four. Yesterday, I think looks pretty good. Um, you've got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, another Tarantino movie, uh, Dora the Explorer, right? Dora and the Lost City of Gold. That's going to be fantastic. It's about time. Yes, that one's going to be great. Um, wait, wait, guys, 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 guys. Will Smith. Blue Will Smith. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> we, we going? <laughs> Let's all go together. Let's all go. <laughs> and we've got Zombieland 2. <laughs> um I mean there's a lot of great movies. Rocket Man. Rocket Man. Angel Has Fallen. I know. Dumb series. Love those movies. <laughs> It'll be interesting. It'll be exciting. Yeah. I'm very excited for the year. I think I think by the by the end when all is said and done, I think we're gonna have some great top ten lists. So um yeah, January probably can't come soon enough. Any uh any uh last thoughts on uh, us before we close out here? Go see it. I mean it's definitely worth it, and I think if you get a fun audience, we had a fun audience last night that was, and ah, and oh, I don't, and people covering yeah. their eyes, it makes it a lot more fun. Yeah, I went to go see it at ten forty in the morning. Um, didn't have a good crowd <laughs> because there was me and and two other people in there. Uh, go and see it on a Friday night. Get as many. Just piggyback. If you see a group of high schoolers going in, just go in with them. It makes it so much more fun. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was like dying laughing at Winston Duke. And when I say everybody, I mean, you know, Jack and Jill who sat 10 rows down. But, you know, <laughs> they, 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 they weren't helping me out. They weren't helping me. <laughs> That's a bummer. Yeah, I, I had a great time on opening night. Everybody was really getting into the scares, the laughs. Oh, my gosh. When when NWA came on while the white family was being murdered, it was just hysterics all through the rows. It was fantastic. I mean, we didn't even uh, talk about some of the symbolisms. and I mean, there's so many things that we didn't even like touch. Gosh. There's so much. For for my closing thoughts, I actually kind of feel like I just need to backpedal because I think I've come off kind of like I, I accidentally do a lot as, as kind of a monster going after things that don't really matter. Um, I do that kind of in the name of creating an inter- interesting discussion, but I really do enjoy the movie. I'm very excited to watch it again. I think it's going to make my 10 best list of the year. Um, so yeah, I join you guys saying... Go see it. See it with a fun crowd. Um, it's it's a movie that even if you've got beef with it, there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to think about. And I think that it's going to deliver uh, on repeat viewings. So I'm really excited to see it again. 
If we got we got nothing else, any any other final final last words? Victory's an asshole. <laughs> Victory rebuttal. Uh, please don't make comments on the NBA. Just don't do it, David. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, don't tune into our next episode. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, right on. Uh, Wait, why? What are you doing? You're not doing Space Jam, are you? Oh gosh, no, that... no, no. no. <laughs> oh, okay. No, okay, is it? Good. We're good. We will what, have what to is do it, David? Space it's, Jam. It's a, it's a throwaway joke about an hour and forty minutes in. We we will have to uh, do a Space Jam episode when LeBron comes out with his masterful version. Oh yeah. Yeah, we'll, I'll I'll sign me. up for it then. We can pair it up with Airbud. It'll be a great time. <laughs> oh, Airbud's so much better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, apologies to listeners if this was kind of a little disjointed, choppy. We're not normally used to just talking fresh off the cuff about movies that just came out. But um, if you enjoyed the movie or have opinions on it, we'd love to hear them. You can reach out to us on any social media platform. Find us at Cinemust. Or you can email us at cinemust at gmail.com. And uh, hey, if this was something that was fun, if you think we should talk about uh, recent release or new releases more, uh, Shoot us an email or shoot us a message about that, and we can start coordinating these more. I had a lot of fun, you guys. Thanks for coming on. This is great. Thanks. Anytime. All right. And with that, we will say goodbye, everybody. Uh, Keep an eye out for your tether. Mm -hmm.